Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for an amazing time of worship. God, that we can come before you to sing to you, to praise you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would, you would talk to us, you would talk to our hearts and our minds. Let us hear from you. You are the way maker. You keep your promises. You're everything you say you are. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name we all pray. Amen. Our youth is at a retreat today and tomorrow. They left yesterday and so far no one has drowned and no one has left. So we're, we're good there. I'm going to not do our Matthew 5 study today and take a look at Elijah for a moment this morning and learn, I think, some really valuable lessons. Elijah is a fascinating prophet. He's fascinating for what he saw, what he did, how the Lord used him, and he's fascinating uh, in his humanity. Uh, James says that Elijah was a man just like us, and he didn't pray and it didn't rain. He, pr he prayed, it didn't rain, then he prayed for rain, and it rained, and he says the righteous prayer of a the the uh, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and so that's an interesting example that the Lord gives us about Elijah, because as we'll see today, Elijah didn't always have it together, but we can learn a lot from those who don't always have it together, and and perhaps discover why they didn't have it all together. First of all, in chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, Elijah is fed by ravens. And the ravens, those big black birds, they brought him breakfast and they brought him supper. And he drank water from the brook. Now, if, if God sends birds to feed you breakfast and then to feed you supper, I think that's something that might ought to inspire you along a little bit not to be uh, caught up in the frail, frailties of man. And then uh, the Lord sent him to live in a village of Zarephath and there he ran across the, the widow, the Zarephath widow that the scripture talks about and he, he asked for some food. Now it hadn't rained in a long time so the crops were down and things weren't going really well and uh, she said, man, there's not, enough, there's not enough flour and there's not enough olive oil to feed everybody. There's just enough for now, just for us. And so uh, he said, no, nah. he said, you go and you make me some. Make me some bread first. And if you'll do that, you'll have enough. It'll never run out. You'll, you'll always have plenty of olive oil and you'll always have plenty of flour to have enough bread. And that's what happened. She went and made him some, and sure enough, uh, whatever was in that uh, flower pot and whatever was in that olive oil jar, it never ran out during the drought. That's, that's pretty substantial. Now, the ravens, and then we see uh, the, the flower lasting and the olive oil lasting. That really should be enough to help us along, shouldn't it? I mean, if you've seen God do that, then certainly you're going to be in good standing and, and you're going to have a little swag to you and you're going to be walking along. You're going to have confidence in the Lord. Faith is growing to 
really deepen in your life? I mean, that's you saw that. And then when he was there in Zarephath, this widow's son dies. And, and, and the, the lady, the, the mom goes to Elijah and says, man, what have we done? What have we done to you that, that the Lord has taken my son? And uh, he says, wait a minute. He goes up to his room and sure enough, he prays for this boy to rise. The Lord heard his prayer and this boy came back to life. So already in just one chapter, you would think in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, you would think that that would be the difference maker for the rest of his life, a resurrection. Now, being fed by ravens, maybe somebody trained him. I don't know. Maybe you could reason that away. Uh, the, the flour in the pot, there's always enough. Maybe you could reason that or explain that miracle away somehow or another. And, and maybe she was conniving a little bit and she had a little store somewhere, where a storage place where she had some flour and olive oil and she was adding it every day. I mean, your mind can play tricks with you. But, but the, he saw the boy dead. And after prayer, he saw that the boy rose from the grave. That ought to be enough, hadn't it? I mean, what else do you need in life? If, if you saw someone come back to life, wouldn't that be enough, you think? I, I, I'm not going to question God anymore. After all, I witnessed a young boy come back to life. That ought to carry us along. Chapter 18. Now, in the third year of the drought, can you imagine it not raining for three years? Things get really difficult when it hadn't rained for three months. And so it hadn't rained for three years out there. No crops. Obviously, the animals are in a bad way. Nothing's taking place. King Ahab, man, he said, go, he sends Obadiah. He says, go find a spring somewhere where there's enough grass, at least to keep my horses and my donkeys alive in this mess. And, and so the, the place is having a bad way. Now, since Elijah is seen as the reason why it hadn't rained, he's the troubler of Israel. And so the Lord told Elijah to go see Ahab. Oh, man, why would that be? And so uh, Elijah goes walking down the road to find Ahab. Obadiah, Ahab's a servant, sees him and says, Oh, my gosh, I can't take you to him. He'll kill me. And uh, he said, no, the Lord told me to go. We got to go. So uh, Elijah goes down the road, and when Ahab sees him, he says, oh, troubler of Israel. You know, he's going he's gonna to kill him. But Elijah said, let's square off. I got a squaring off place up on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is at the uh, uh, western side of the Valley of Armageddon. The valley, it, Megiddo is in the Valley of Armageddon. And so it overlooks a beautiful valley. And so he's up there on Mount Carmel. And uh, he says, let me tell you what we're going to do here. We're going to have a little contest. And, and we're going to see if you're wavering between two opinions. If God is God, then worship him. If, if Baal or the Asherah prophets are speaking for God, then you worship him. We're going to settle this right here and now, Ahab. So sure enough, you know the story there in chapter 18 that... Uh, uh, they put the sacrifice on the wood. They add more water. They put it, they put, they pour, saturate the the uh, sacrifice with water, and 
the Baal prophets begin to chant and to scream and to dance, and they're calling down fire so that uh, their offering can be burned and, and they can demonstrate that they're worshiping the true God. Sure, it doesn't happen. Elijah takes over when it's his turn, and he has a trench dug around it, adds more water and saturates it all, which is quite interesting in it since they've had three years of drought that they are using all this water in this uh, uh, contest that they're having to determine who God really is. And fire fell from heaven and burned up the altar with all that water on it. And not only that, but Elijah, who stood all alone with all these Baal prophets and all these Asher prophets, he stood all alone, and yet he took a sword, and all those false prophets were killed. Wouldn't that be enough? Surely that would be enough that no matter what comes your way, no matter what troubles you face, no matter what obstacles come along, what detour is going to come along, no matter how bad the circumstances are going to be, I mean, just take inventory, Elijah. No rain. And then he prays at the end of this, and rain comes. So the rain issue, the flower issue, the olive oil issue, the raising of the sun, and then the fact that all these prophets are crying out to God and nothing happens, and then Elijah speaks, and the fire fell from heaven. Surely that would be enough. But we find in chapter 19, Ahab is the king and Jezebel is the queen, in case you have to be reminded of that. Verse 1, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse 3, the same Elijah that had seen the boy come back to life. The same Elijah that saw fire fall. The same Elijah saw the multiplication of the flour and the olive oil. The same Elijah that saw it not rain and then saw it rain just by praying to God that it would rain. This Elijah, verse 3 says, was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now, let's look at that solitary broom tree. Got that picture on there for today? That's it. And, and that probably is not the same broom tree. But that's a broom tree in Israel, in the desert, south of Beersheba. Looks a little bit like a mesquite tree, doesn't it? Broom tree. Now, now it's got some shade. That's not bad. But, man, you know good and well that it was really, really hot under that broom tree. 
And under that broom tree, under that broom tree, Elijah, that had saw the fire fall from heaven, that had, that's good, thanks guys. He saw the fire fall from heaven. He saw the multiplication of the flour and the olive oil. He saw the boy come back to life. He saw it rain. He saw all these miracles. He runs from Jezebel. And he gets under that broom tree and he says, Lord, you might as well take me. Go ahead and kill me. My worth ain't worth living. I have had enough, Lord, he said. I have had enough. Have you said that phrase this week? I have had enough. Have you said that phrase? You went into a store and someone said, you know, put your mask on. You said, I've had enough. Right? Or someone gets a call and says, so-and-so has that virus again. I've had enough. I've had enough of the virus. I've, I, the news comes on. He says, I've had enough. I'm not watching the news anymore. Right? I've had enough. I've had enough. Well, Elijah had had enough. What do you do when you've had enough? What do you do? How do you respond? He says, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Death is not a bad thing, Elijah says at this point. Good sleep, right? For what we know about it. Good sleep, good rest, good opportunity, eternal life, all those things. Might as well go ahead and take me. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. The angel knew where he was going. So he got up and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. Now, if he took 40 days and 40 nights to travel from Beersheba or south of Beersheba to what we understand to be Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai where the, the Ten Commandments came down, he could have got there in just three or four days because it, it was only between Mount Carmel and Mount Sinai, if we know which Mount Sinai is really Mount Sinai, and there's a pretty good indication it might be, it's... 384 miles driving difference, but if you're walking in a straight line, it's 296 miles. Now, all of us can walk 296 miles before 40 days is up. So what does that tell you about his journey? He went all over the place. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he said, let me see what's over there. Let me see what's over there. He's looking for an answer somewhere. He's trying to find, maybe he had to find water. Who knows what's going on. But this was an agonizing 40 days and 40 nights out there in the wilderness. I'm sure he is eat up with his life. Go ahead and take me, Lord. My life ain't worth living. Come get me right here now. But it says there in verse uh, 9, 8 and 9, that he gets up, he walks to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and it says in verse 9, there he came to a cave. No Holiday Inn Express, no Hampton Inn. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Can you imagine being in that, that cave and hear about those vipers? 
you know, coming around. But there he is. He's in the cave. Now, in the second part of verse 9, but the Lord said to him, first of all, if you're really, really, really struggling, really down, the Lord's speaking to you. The Lord's at work. If, if you've said, I've had enough, I can't stand this anymore, I can't go another day like this, things have got to change, I've got to get some relief from this, the Lord's speaking to you. He's helping you. Love does that, right? And so I believe the Lord is speaking to you today. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here in this cave? After all you've seen, what are you doing here, Elijah? After all I have done for you to see, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, verse 10, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Jezebel. Jezebel's after him. All those prophets, he faced them down. But Jezebel. There's something about Jezebel that just got him. Go out and stand before me on the mountainside, the Lord told him in verse 11. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. He saw the result of the Lord passing by, but he didn't see the Lord. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Powerful wind, powerful earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, hurricane force winds, tornado winds, that downdraft wind, or whatever they call it, shear, wind shear. Man, that'd get your attention, wouldn't it? Wouldn't the earthquake get your attention? Wouldn't the fire get your attention? In the midst of all that, wouldn't the still small voice get your attention? And so after the Lord did all that for him to see, and the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He replied again, I am zealously, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back in the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meloah, to replace you as my prophet. 
Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. What is Elijah's biggest problem? He's all alone. He's outnumbered. He can't win. He can't make it. He can't do it. Take an inventory here. What's Elijah missing? The rain? No rain. No rain than rain. He's forgot about Zarephath's widow. He's forgot about the birds feeding him. He's forgotten about the raising of the widow's son. He's forgotten about fire falling from heaven. And now Jezebel is after him, and he's out there in that cave at Mount Sinai wishing he was dead. And you have two diagnostic questions here. The Lord says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Just what are you doing here? Good questions. Good diagnostic questions. What are you doing here? What are you doing? Good question. This question helps us identify our state of mind and heart, doesn't it? This question helps us to be clear about life, about what's happening, about our circumstances. This question helps us to be aware of what our blind spots might possibly be. What are we missing? What do we not understand? And when the Lord says to Elijah, what are you doing here? The Lord is wanting Elijah to see why he is there. I'm here because I'm afraid Jezebel is going to kill me. That's why he's there. All right, let's talk about that. What, but first, before we talk about that, God says, watch this wind show. Watch this earthquake show. You know, watch this fire show then hear my still, small voice. Do you hear that still, small voice? Do you hear that gentle whisper, Elijah? I've been speaking to you. You know what I've been telling you? Elijah, I've been telling you I'm here. I've been telling you I provide. I've been telling you don't worry about enemies. I handle enemies. I have told you. I have showed you. I have been there for you, Elijah. Elijah. What in the world are you doing way down here all by yourself in this cave? Why in the world? How, how did you get here? Well, this is how he got there. And the same three reasons, I believe, that put Elijah here are the same reasons why we find ourselves in isolation in a cave saying, I have had enough. I can't take another step. I can't move forward. I, I'm just done. I, I, I'm just eat up. I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm just anxious. I'm just full of worry. I mean, God, where are you? Why in the world is all this going on? COVID fatigue, economy fatigue, political fatigue, whatever the fatigue is. For Elijah, it's Jezebel fatigue. He's scared of that old woman. Jezebel. Man, don't ever name your daughter Jezebel. Let that slide. Not a good name. First thing, Elijah lost objectivity. He lost objectivity. He was subjective. Subjective is how you feel. Subjective is what other people think. 
Subjective are opinions that are driving the boat. Subjective is is like a boat being tossed around on the waves of an ocean without a rudder. Subjective. You don't know where it's going to go. He became subjective. He had seen all those things happen. He had lost his objectivity, and all he could think about what might possibly happen. You know, Jezebel might possibly be able to catch up to him and kill him. Might possibly. That's all he could think about. He was worried about what may not come to be. He had drifted from from a, a, a walk of objectivity to a walk of subjective way of living. Guarantee you, if you struggle with despair, discouragement, sorrow for a long time, sometimes it's chemical, sometimes it's brain activity, sometimes it's a major event that scars your brain a little bit and need to have some therapy, some help, perhaps some medicine a little bit to help you recover. But most of the time, when it's not a chronic depression or a chronic sorrow, you've lost your objectivity. Objectivity is what is true. Objectivity is what, how are things really? What is really right? What has really happened here? When you have subjective thoughts, it's thoughts like this. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes you? Nobody? Nobody likes you. Well, I like you. I'm somebody, so it's not true. Well, yeah, but, but you might like me, but nobody else does. That's subjective. That's subjective. Objectivity says, people like me. I have friends I can count on. But that's subjective thinking, how things really, truly are. And so when we lose our objectivity, we can find ourselves in a cave down here at Mount Sinai saying, Lord, I've had enough. So what are you doing here? Are you being objective? Are you thinking about what's true, what's right? The way things really are, objective thoughts. Look at your life with objectivity. Don't be controlled by subjectivity. You know, don't find yourself thinking, everyone is against me. No one is on my side. I don't have anybody support me. That's never, ever true. That's never the way it is. So object, objective thoughts and not subjective thoughts. The second thing is, Elijah was blind to his blessings. He had, he had failed, obviously, to count his blessings. Now, when he found himself out there under that broom tree, he, he should have had enough time out there to think, you know, I sure have seen a lot, hadn't I? I mean, I'm a prophet of God. God told me about the rain situation, and boy, it didn't rain. I mean, he, he gave me that information. I have a relationship with God. That should have been enough. Count those blessings. He should have counted the blessings of the... I, I was fed by birds. And you know, that's rare. You know, that's significant. You know, don't know a lot of people fed by birds. You know, I, I've, got, I've got friends. I've got this. I've got that. Count your blessings. And so if you find yourself under a broom tree you know, symbolism there, in a cave in Mount Sinai, saying to God, God, I've had enough. Be objective and count your blessings. I got a loving wife. I got loving kids. I got grandkids. I, to, I still have my health pretty good. 
I have purpose. I have, I have friends. I have, I have people I can count on if I'm going through a hard time. I've got a roof over my head. The air conditioner was working this morning. We can't get any better than that. You know, they got a food store over there, and I've got enough money in my pocket right now. I can get enough food to eat too many calories a day. Easy. I mean, I've got gas in my car. You know, got it, I got it going good. I mean, I, I've got it made. That's subjective. Subjective would be, oh man, you know, you know, my car's not as nice as so-and-so's car, so I must be a failure. That's subjective. You know, I, I just don't seem to have the ability to really, you know, be on TV and preach to thousands on TV. That'd be subjective. I must not have any value or any importance because, you know, I'm not the mover and shaker kind of guy. That's subjective. That's not true. Those are not true statements. Those are not true words. And if you find yourself in that, you can't count your blessings. And so, Elijah, what are you doing here, boy? Why are you here? Elijah should have said, I've been subjective. That's why I'm here. That's what got me here, thinking, you know, stinky thinking. That's what got me here. I lost my objectivity back there on Mount Carmel, Lord. I lost my objectivity. When Jezebel spoke, I went from watching what all that you could do to just thinking about my failure and my weakness and how strong she is. And I took her and I put her way above you in power. Subjective. Unable to count as blessings. And the third thing, and I believe that's why God showed him the wind. That's why God showed him the earthquake. Now, I've never been an earthquake that I know of, but I've seen the wind. Wow. I've seen the consequences of wind. When, when that big thunderstorm rolls by or that tornado goes through a community, you know, you, you've seen the results of that. It can just take a great big oak tree and just just bend it over. God's powerful. That's why God showed him the wind. That's why God showed him the earthquake. That's why God showed him the fire. I mean, the fire is all-consuming. The fire can burn up the country so fast and nothing's left of it. God is saying, look how powerful I am, Elijah. Through the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, look how powerful I am, but yet I choose to speak to you with a whisper. Jezebel can't get you. You're my man. You're my prophet. I have purpose for you. I don't care how much Eli uh, Jezebel speaks, Elijah. I got you, man. Jezebel's going to get hers. Jezebel's mean. Jezebel wears way too much makeup. <laughs> Jezebel, she's a rough one. Don't Ahab's even scared of Jezebel. Don't worry about her. We got this. You know how Elijah died? He didn't. This guy that's out here in under this broom tree in the wilderness, he's with Elisha. And Elisha, you know, wants to be with him. All says, You can't go where I'm going. You gotta stay. Well, chariots of fire came and got him and took him up into the sky 
chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. That's how, that's what happened to Elijah. Now, God's trying to communicate to him what he's got. And if you are saying, I've had enough, God is communicating to you that he is enough. Be objective. Let go of the subjective thoughts and ideas and awarenesses and, and be objective. If you find it very difficult to be objective, sit down with a piece of paper and write down objective thoughts. Write down how things really are. I am loved. I am blessed. I have salvation. I have been forgiven. You know, my wife loves me half of the time. <laughs> Go for it. That's objective. Subjectively, my wife only loves me half the time. No, no, no. My wife loves me half of the time. That's better than most, isn't it? That's not a bad gig right there. Go for it. Right? Be, be objective about how your life is. But, but most importantly, recognize that God is big, that God is powerful. And Elijah, who had experienced that, had forgotten it. And if we're not careful, we will forget that the promise of God's presence, his power, his provision is always enough for his children. So are you saying today you've had enough? Are you saying today you just can't go another step? Are you saying today, man, you just don't know if you can make it? Well, be objective, count your blessings, and have faith in how big God is, and just sit back and watch God change stuff. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to be open to your word, your direction, and your guidance. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.